welcome to The Landscape, your show about America's parks and public lands. I'm Aaron Weiss at the Center for Western Priorities in Denver. And I'm your co-host, Kate Gretzinger in Salt Lake City. Today on the podcast, we're talking about private land conservation. That's right. While public lands are usually our focus, private lands are just as important when it comes to maintaining open space and habitat for wildlife. And the Farm Bill contains a number of programs that help conserve private land. We're going to talk to Lori Faith with the Land Trust Alliance about that in just a second. But before we jump into that conversation, let's do the news. Well, the big news this week is that the comment period closed for the Bureau of Land Management's proposed public lands rule, and over 90% of commenters supported the rule as written or asked the BLM to go even further and strengthen its conservation provisions. That is according to an analysis we performed on the final day of the comment period last week. We looked at 10,000 comments picked at random from over 150,000 that had been posted online. Now, a quick reminder, if you are just joining us on this podcast, this proposed rule would essentially put conservation on equal footing with other uses of public lands, like mining, grazing, and drilling. It would create a framework for conservation leasing as well, letting conservation groups restore degraded landscapes that aren't otherwise being used. It would also clarify the process for designating areas of critical environmental concern. Those are designations that BLM makes for certain lands that are especially fragile or contain special attributes like cultural sites. So our analysis of the public comment period shows what public polling has told us for years. Westerners love public lands and they want to see them protected and managed in a balanced way. To learn more about this rule, check out our episode a few weeks back with James Kenna, who's the former California BLM state director, who walked us through this proposed rule from the perspective inside the BLM. So what's next? Well, the agency is going to have to go through all of those comments. It will respond to them. It will make changes and clarifications to the proposed rule. We could see a final version of the public lands rule several months down the road. Every five years, one of the biggest and most important pieces of legislation comes out of Washington, the Farm Bill touches nearly every aspect of American life, especially when it comes to the food we eat, but also when it comes to land conservation, especially on private lands across the country. That is what we are talking about today with Lori Faith, Senior Director of Government Relations at the Land Trust Alliance. Lori, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. I look forward to our discussion today. So we've never talked about the Farm Bill on the podcast before, I think partially because only comes around every five years. So give everyone a, a, a really basic introduction. What is the Farm Bill? And I know that's a loaded question, but more specifically then, why is it important when it comes to, to land protection? Great. So the Farm Bill is a comprehensive package that covers a lot of ground, everything from providing a safety net for um, the agricultural commodities, research and development, uh, food and nutrition programs, and it is the largest single source of federal funding for voluntary private land conservation, which is why it's one of the highest priorities for the Land Trust Alliance and our 950 members. Lori, I'm going to jump in here. Can you explain what a land trust is and how a land trust works? Yeah, a land trust is um, it's a community-based nonprofit organization that works to either to permanently conserve land. In some cases, they purchase land outright and retain ownership. And in other cases, they work with willing landowners, they always work with willing landowners, to place what's called a conservation easement on the property. Uh, with the conservation easement, 
the landowner continues to hold the underlying fee of the land. So they still own the land, but they have extinguished you know, rights associated with that land, like the development rights. And the land trust is responsible for ensuring that the terms of that easement are upheld um, in perpetuity. And then they also work with the landowners to help manage and restore the conserved lands. Land trusts can be local, state, regional, or um, national. And they work directly with, um, as I mentioned, private landowners and community partners to achieve their goals, which lead to natural, natural land conservation, recreational opportunities, scenic, historic, and lands with um, agricultural values. And they can be found in urban and suburban and rural communities. Um, there are 93% of all the U.S. counties, and um, some of them have all volunteer staff and on, on the way up to uh, big paid staff and national organizations like Ducks Unlimited or the Nature Conservancy and everything you can imagine in between. All right. So that's what a land trust is. Obviously, they end up playing a role in terms of the farm bill. So so why is this important when the farm bill comes up for renewal every five years that so many folks, uh, including the Land Trust Alliance, get involved in that process of crafting the next farm bill? The Land Trust Alliance is an umbrella organization with about 950 member land trusts from across the country. And we have a group called the Farm Bill Working Group that's comprised of practitioners who, the folks who actually work with landowners to utilize these programs. So we bring them together to help develop recommendations on um, what is needed in the next Farm Bill. So what are the funding needs? What can we do to make these programs work better? Um, and we really have focused all of our Farm Bill efforts on the easement programs because they're really critical if we are going to be able to conserve America's working lands. And then there are other programs in the Farm Bill that can help with management and restoration and enhancement of those lands. So how much money are we talking about here? Obviously, the Farm Bill is a, a huge multi billion dollar bill, uh, what portion of that ends up going towards towards private land conservation efforts? For the easement programs, the um, agricultural conservation easement program was funded in the 2018 Farm Bill at $450 million a year, which sounds like a lot of money, but it gets split up into two different programs, agricultural land easements. Those are easements where land trusts hold the easements and wetland reserve easements, where then RCS holds the easements. And the demand for these programs just so far exceeds the dollars available. So we are seeking a significant increase in funding for ASAP, which is what we call the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program. Um, and then we're also seeking, um, make, ensuring that there's funding for the Regional Conservation Partnership Program, which was funded in the 2018 Farm Bill at $300 million a year. Um, but that also um, needs a jump in funding as well. Um, Lori, can I ask you to tell us more about agricultural conservation easements, how they're established, what they are, what they do, um, and, and really what their role is in, in land conservation, private land conservation? Yeah, so this program, um, you know, is, is built on like previous programs to ensure that there's a way to conserve, again, our working farms and ranches. So what it does is it provides funding from the federal government uh, that is often matched with funding from state or local or private sources to pay landowners, willing landowners, to extinguish the development rights on their property. So to put an agricultural easement on their property 
um, thereby ensuring that, that those lands will forever be working land. So the landowner can stay on the land and know that the farm can remain viable. With those funds, we've seen landowners um, often put that money back into the agricultural operation or they use it to pay off debt. A lot of landowners put an easement on their property as a means of, well, one, ensuring that it will forever be working lands, but two, helping them pass those lands down to the next generation. So it's a really critical funding tool. So you mentioned that demand outstrips the funding supply for these conservation easements. Can you sort of explain why, um, why that is, why there's so much interest in this program? It, there's a lot of pressure on you know, on lands across America, just from development and conversion to other resources. And even now, you know, we're seeing pressure from like the data centers to support all of this technology. And um, that puts pressures on, puts pressure on working landowners to, you know, sometimes they want to sell, they find might be need some money, or they might find themselves in a financial situation. Um, So they are looking for ways to help ensure that the farm or ranch is forever a working land. And that that's like happening all over the country. The pressure is coming from everywhere. Uh, and so that's why I think we're think, think it's about like one third of the demand is met. So l- let's talk about flexibility and th- how to balance this need for you know, durable ongoing land protection versus the needs of of farmers and ranchers. Uh, how can conservation easements be modified after they are created? How easy or hard is that process, and and how does all of that fit in when we're talking about the farm bill? Yeah, so conservation easements under you know very limited circumstances can be modified. The majority of these, particularly the agricultural land easements, are in perpetuity. And things change. We have climate change. We have all kinds of different impacts. So sometimes it's just a matter of like the land gets resurveyed and the boundary line might be off by a little bit. So they can be modified under very certain circumstances. And those modifications, one of the requirements for doing so is that it will increase the conservation values of the land. So the taxpayers that paid for those dollars through the Farm Bill programs, um, their investment remains sound and solid. It's very cumbersome to um, to amend an easement. In the 2018 Farm Bill, the Alliance argued for some clarifications on what can be done for modifications and exchanges um, to provide additional guidance to the NRCS. We felt, we believe now, like even though they have pretty clear statutory authority, we need some further clarifications in the 2023 Farm Bill. So we included in our recommendations, which we're happy to share with you, you'll see that we are seeking some additional provisions around those clarifications for modifications of, of easements. Lori, quick question for you. What is NRCS? The NRCS is the Natural Resources Conservation Service. It's one of the many entities that are a part of the United States Department of Agriculture, and they play a big role in the implementation of the Farm Bill Conservation Program. So we work really closely with them on the implementation of ASAP and the Regional Conservation Partnership Program. But they also do other programs like the Healthy Forest Reserve Program, Environmental Quality Incentive Program. Um, So they are a really big driver of the conservation, restoration and management of America's working lands. Awesome. Thank you. Um, So we've talked a lot about agricultural conservation easements. Those that if correct me if I'm wrong, but those seem to be maybe the biggest vehicle for private land conservation that's funded by the Farm Bill. 
Um, what are some other programs that are authorized or funded by the Farm Bill that promote conservation? So there is the Healthy Forest Reserve Program, which is targeted toward the conservation of forested lands, particularly lands that either are habitat for endangered species or could be restored for habitat. Um, that program is actually in the conservation of the title, conservation or the forestry title of the Farm Bill, not the conservation title, um, but it's managed by NRCS. And that program, unfortunately, is never funded fully. It's authorized to be funded at $12 million a year. Last year, it got $7 million a year. Often it goes unfunded. Uh, and then there's also the Environmental Quality Incentive Program and Conservation Stewardship Program. Those programs are targeted more towards like management and restoration, um, helping a person put together a management plan or a conservation plan for their property, a whole host of things that uh, one, help enhance the values, the conservation values and the ag values of those properties. Uh, two, it helps all of this, all of these programs um, are a big part of the climate solution. There's significant con uh, climate benefits from it. And then it also helps landowners remain viable on their land, which is what we want. We want our farmers and ranchers to be able to stay on the land, remain viable and keep being a part of um, providing us with food security, climate benefits, healthy water, healthy air, all of those things that we get from our working lands. When you look at your recommendations for how to make this process better, it seems like they're kind of two, two big buckets, uh, if you'll let me simplify a little bit. One is around the, the process of creating and funding easements, and the other is around accessibility of these programs for landowners who may have not been able to to take part in them before. I, I want to tackle those one at a time. How hard is it to create a, an agricultural easement? And what could the Farm Bill do to make that process easier while still making sure that there is true conservation value there? So the program is fortunately in existence. And as we already talked about, it needs more money. But the implementation um, has been cumbersome. And so we've been going after that on two fronts. We are seeking statutory clarifications to make the program work better through things like um, improving the certified entity process and what that is. It was a program, it was established in the 2008 Farm Bill, but never fully utilized by the agency. And it is where like trusted partners, land trusts, or state agencies with significant experience um, in um, holding agricultural easements get recognized for that by being recognized as a certified entity. And then they get a streamlined path to get these projects through. So it can often cut off six to nine months from the process to get these projects closed. So we are seeking statutory improvements to make that program work better. We are also um, asking for an increased federal share. So currently for most ASAP projects, the federal government provides 50% and then the partner, the land trust, has to come up with the other 50% for the cost of the easement. For grasslands of special significance, that goes up to 75% federal share. So we are looking to increase the federal share for traditional ASAP up to 65%. For um, historically underserved landowners, we are asking Congress to increase that to 90%. And then for grasslands of special significance, up to 80%. And that is because there's a lot of folks out there that don't live in places where there's a uh, state or local funding source to help with those matching funds, but yet they have high value lands that need to be conserved. 
So um, that's it. Uh, and then we're also looking for other ways to increase access for historically underserved landowners. Explain a, little, a bit more what that means. Who has been historically underserved by this program? And obviously changing that funding balance to 90% would make a big difference. What other recommendations are there to, to open up this program more? Yeah, so there are a whole host of, of landowners and historically underserved landowners include um, beginning, farmer, ranchers, um, veterans. There's a, a definition, um, socially disadvantaged, which is not a term that most people really use anymore. Um, and they haven't had access to these programs for a number of reasons. One, they often aren't even aware of them. Two, there's a, often a big distrust of the USDA from a lot of these communities, a lot of the folks in these communities. Uh, and then it's things like the, the funding, getting up, finding the match requirements, um, finding the funds, doing an ag easement um, costs landowners money on the front end they have to pay for an appraisal and for title work and for things like that. So there are expenses associated with it. So some of the things that we're looking for, as I mentioned, and increasing the federal share to 90%, and then also um, covering a large portion of, if not all of the transaction costs associated with um, these transactions or with putting an easement on the property, including title work. And title work is often a, an, an issue as well. There are a lot of heirs property issues on these lands, meaning that it's really hard to get a clear title. So helping, we think it would be helpful and the federal government would benefit from helping to cover some of those costs for those landowners. And all of those things we believe will add up to increasing access. Lori, I wanna switch gears a tiny bit and talk about forests. You mentioned um, the Healthy Forest Program and I, I saw on your website that um, private forests comprise 58% of all forest land in the US. And that those forests, um, those private forests face unprecedented development pressures. How does the Healthy Forests program work? And are there other programs that protect forest land specifically? Yeah, Healthy Forest Reserve um, provides landowners with three different options, a 10-year restoration agreement or a 30-year or a permanent easement um, on their property for specific conservation actions. And that's really targeted towards restoration or improvement of habitat for endangered species. Uh, and it works. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, it's never been fully funded. It's authorized at $12 million a year. So frequently it doesn't get any funding or it gets less funding. So it's a tool. It's a tool that's out there that's important. Then there's also the Forest Legacy Program, which is funded through Land and Water Conservation Fund dollars. It's really successful. It has a very specific and important purpose, which is to provide funding to state agencies to acquire fee title land and easements on lands that are designated within a state as forest legacy areas. So it's a very specific geographical focus within each state. Um, it has helped conserve 3 million acres of forest lands across the country. So they're both really important programs, but there are big gaps in the federal suite of conservation programs to address working forested lands, and that's why the Alliance and our partners are working to um, establish the Forest Conservation Easement Program, which would enhance the Healthy Forest Reserve Program and um, develop a program that would mirror the very successful Agricultural Conservation Easement Program. So that would basically be a, a way for private landowners to um, create an easement um, for forest, right? Is, am I understanding that correctly? It would be it would be sort of the same setup. 
Yeah, it would be very similar. So we're marrying it after the agricultural conservation easement program. So landowners would have two paths. They could choose to work with the land, a land trust and um, put a conservation easement on the property in partnership with, with the land trust. And that would be in perpetuity um, and it would help conserve those working forested lands. Or they could pursue a forest reserve easement, which would be an enhanced version of the Healthy Forest Reserve Program. So again, more targeted towards those lands with um, have, you know, high potential for um, endangered species habitat. So it's a really great program. Um, we are hoping that it will be incorporated into the 2023 Farm Bill with mandatory funding as part of the conservation title and help fill that really critical gap in the conservation of working forested lands. I, I want to wrap by asking about the big picture here. The president set a goal of protecting 30% of American lands by the end of the decade. Obviously, the, there's no way to get there just on on federal or even state land. So how much of a role do you think the farm bill can play in getting America towards that 30 by 30 goal? The farm bill is one of the programs that provides funding for voluntary private land conservation. And as you noted, we can't achieve that goal um, looking to public lands alone for a whole host of reasons. Um, but voluntary private land conservation can be a big part of the solution. Our president and CEO, Andrew Bowman, challenged the land trust community back in 2019 with accelerating the pace of voluntary private land conservation from about 10 million acres a year to, I think it's, Corey, or I think it's like 60 million acres. Anyway, really stepping it up. And the Farm Bill programs can help with that. Um, and it's really critical to understand that these are voluntary programs. They're incentive-based. Nobody forces landowners. It's not a federal takeover. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there about it. But we believe that um, voluntary private land conservation can play a very significant part of helping America achieve our conservation goals. Awesome. Lori, um, I'm going to circle back before we end this episode and ask you about the Farm Bill and your your group's lobbying efforts. Can you sort of lay out the next couple of months and what that looks like when it comes to lobbying and then passing the Farm Bill? What's the timeline look like and what are the sort of big milestones that we should be watching for? So the timeline is driven by Congress, and we know we work really closely with the House and Senate Ag Committees, uh, majority and minority staff. One of the greatest things about my job and why I wanted to work for an organization like the Land Trust Alliance is because we are nonpartisan. We work with everybody. And the Farm Bill is one of the most fun things to work on on the Hill because it's bipartisan. Uh, so that's great. So we um, are working to educate them about our recommendations. We believe they have a good understanding of them. They're drafting in both the House and the Senate. We think we'll see language come out of the Senate shortly after the August recess, so maybe early September. So that would be a landmark. And then probably House will release language sometime in September, but probably later. Uh, and then, you know, we'll see what's in those bills. We'll work to, you know, if what we want, what we're seeking is in those bills. Then we'll just be complimenting them and working hard to make sure that it stays in the bills. There are things that missing are missing. We'll advocate to have those included. And it's likely there will be, you know, we'll have some things in the Senate bill and some things in the House bill, and we'll um, work to reconcile those differences. Um, I think the farm bill, the current farm bill expires at the end of September. Clearly, Congress is not going to pass a new bill by the end of September, but the programs run a mandatory funding. And um, so letting that slip by a few months is not going to be a problem. All of the all the programs that we care about will continue. 
Um, it's possible they could get it done by the end of the calendar year. We'll see. And we'll just keep working to educate them. And we rely on our members to help us with that. So we will sometimes put out calls and ask our members to reach out to their members of Congress and urge them to support things like currently there's a marker bill out there, uh, which is like a test bill that we'd want included in, in the farm bill for the forest conservation easement program. So we, our members right now are reaching out to their congressional delegations, particularly the house where the bill was introduced and urging them to sign on as co-sponsors to the bill to show strong support. So we'll continue all of those activities and, um, we got about 95% of what we wanted into the 2018 Farm Bill. So we're hoping with one very loud voice from the land trust community, we'll see similar success in 2023. That's exciting. Well, we'll be sure to um, keep an eye on that and update our listeners as to what actually happens. Lori Faith, Senior Director of Government Relations at the Land Trust Alliance. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. In good news this week, the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Subcommittee on Public Lands, Forests, and Mining heard a bunch of pro-conservation bills. The bills included protections for the Dolores River, the Thompson Divide, and additional areas in Colorado, Oregon's Owyhee Canyonlands, and the Olympic National Forest in Washington. The subcommittee also considered a bill that would discourage speculative leasing of public lands that are unlikely to produce oil and gas. Now, it's great that these bills are getting traction in the Senate, but they face an uphill battle in the House. If the Senate passes them, but they can't get through the House, we're calling on President Biden to use his power under the Antiquities Act to protect these special landscapes. Because, as we've seen time and time again, Westerners support public land protections. Well, that is it for today's episode. As always, you can contact us at podcast at westernpriorities.org or send us a DM on Twitter. We are on other social media platforms now, too, including TikTok and Threads, because everyone's going there this week. So go give us a follow if you care about Western public lands. Thanks again to Lori Faith for joining us today, and thank you for listening to The Landscape.